Podcast with James. And this is Lisa. Hi, this is James. And just before we start this episode, I wanted to remind you that you can support us via Patreon on our website at www.worldofwork.io forward slash support. Okay, let's get on with the episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Lisa. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. Uh, What are we speaking about today? Well, this is a fascinating conversation with Perry Timms about self-managed teams, what they are, what the potential of them in the workplace is, and how to actually bring them to life. It's really exciting as a topic. I'm really glad we got to speak to him because self-managed teams is one of those phrases that that you hear more and more and self-management is more common. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see what some of the experience he has from trying to introduce self-managed teams to organizations uh, around the world is and some real examples of how people can do this. Yeah. So welcome to our new episode. Okay. So here we are in the main body of this podcast. Uh, We are joined today by Perry Timms, and we're going to be speaking about self-management and self-managed teams. Um, Before we get into that, though, Perry, would you be able to say a bit about yourself and your background and what you're working on at the minute? Of course. Thank you. Uh, So thank you for having me. It's uh, always great to get these kind of opportunities to share stuff that you believe in and are passionate about working. So um, uh, I started uh, my working life in the civil service in the UK and uh, got into a position where I worked a lot on projects, including tech projects. Um, And in it, I wasn't a techie. I did try out as a coder. And whilst I passed the exams, I just hated it. Um, Mm. I was a user. So I was helping them understand what the tech was there to do. And then I would test their modules. And then uh, because I knew the system, the the project managers would say, hey, why don't you train the users? And it was the training piece that really got me into HR and learning. And so I moved into that about 17 years ago. Um, and then I think if I sort of fast forward to about 2008-9, I started to discover there were some alternatives to how work was done. I read yes. Ricardo Semler's uh, iconic book, Maverick, and, and I suddenly found there were all these self-managed, self-directed teams going on, and it sparked my attention. And uh, from that point on, I've been really interested in it, and, and, and I guess you'd say now I'm a little bit obsessed of, uh, about that as a potential future model for the way work could be done. Yeah, it's exciting, right? And yeah. um, it's topical, and yeah. and we hear the phrase self managed around uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I guess to start things off, though, uh, when when you think of a self managed team, what does it actually mean to you? What is a self managed team? Yeah, I, I guess a question that that uh, doesn't have a really really short sharp answer, except that I think there are people with a purpose who direct themselves to deliver that purpose. So I mean, that's as short as I can get it. And by sure direct themselves i mean there aren't heaps of process and bureaucracy that they have to wade through there aren't layers of management that direct them um but what self-management isn't is just this pointless gathering of people who make stuff up as they go along which i think is perhaps a little bit of a myth in in those Uh who are doubtful of its um sort of power and usefulness um the purpose is the thing that brings people together the 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 people then create the kind of bonds and the processes and the and the ways of being together that that deliver that Uh, but ultimately there's a reason for it it, is, it isn't just some random act of, of stuff and it isn't just a counter reaction either to other forms of construct. So, yeah, I think the purpose and the people uh, is the kind of crucial bond between them. And as I said a second ago, it, it seems like self-managed teams and self-management is becoming more 
popular or at least more in the public consciousness. Have you got a sense on why that's happening? Is there any sort of shift happening in the work that we do or the, the types of uh, ways that we organize ourselves that's leading to this? Or is it just an evolution? What, what are your thoughts on its, its so trajectory? I think, yeah, I mean, I think there is an evolution going on. And I think that evolution has come in a number of different ways. I think when you look at the construct of work, if we go back to, you know, sort of industrial revolution time uh, and mm-hmm. then into the sort of, I suppose, post-war advent of, um, you know, mass manufacturing and so on that came out of that, I think the the machinery of work uh, was the prevailing rhythm, tempo and model. Uh, and then yeah. we started to get a little bit more, I think, enlightened about our our sense of being in the world, I guess, you know, financial crashes and terrorism and things like that. We forced ourselves to question, like, what is it all about, this acquisition of wealth yeah. and this thing? So I think that's the evolutionary bit, um, uh, which is also then part of the systems. But, I mean, I go back to uh, August Comte in the late 1800s started to observe people in a scientific mm-hmm. sense and could realise that actually we didn't always need this machinery and process and scrutiny. And so he started to develop a sociocratic framework where he said, you know, it's not um, hierarchical. There are different ways of doing it. And I guess that was picked up on in the 1970s by some Dutch, uh, I guess, again, sort of psychologists and researchers who were looking at people who came together in, I suppose you'd say, sort of extreme purpose led initiatives like health and disaster recovery and and peace corps. Um, and there wasn't any hierarchical structure there, yet people got things done. So I think it came from that. And so I think we've studied like human endeavor and, and the collective sense. And we've, I think, realized that the construct we have of hierarchical command and control isn't a natural state as we might think it is. And we think of wolf packs or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I guess hive mind and, and, and other forms yeah. of uh, coming together in the animal world, again, I think has given us a sense that actually maybe we're not as kind of, you know, tribal and chieftain-like as we think we are. I've got a whole host of questions on the back of that, <laughs> um, as ever. Um, the first one I'm going to go in with is you started talking about the importance of purpose-ledness or, or yeah. at least having a common purpose being maybe yeah. an enabler yeah. Uh, yeah. for this type of thing. Is, is it a prerequisite? I mean, when we think about the organizations that are exploring and succeeding in yeah. self-management, are they all purpose-led? Can it work anywhere? What industries are doing it? What's um, I, I think there is a, a sense of a calling and uh, almost like a, a magnetic force that, that needs to be there. I mean, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be something, you know, superbly artisan or artistic or religious or anything. Though. Uh, you know, I think some people can come together and say, you know, We've got a really um, disused part of land near us. It's a mess. Our purpose is to make this place look like it's flourishing. And, and we, you know, that seems like such a trite, tidy up thing to do. But the purpose in them is is bigger than the acts that they're doing, uh, as in clearing up and tidying up and landscape gardening. So. So I, I don't want to overconflate what purpose is. I don't think we have to have a nobility to absolutely everything we do in order to create self-management. I think we have to have people who go, I'm, I'm moved enough that I want to do this and I see others who want to do it with me. Let's mm-hmm. work out the best way of creating an, an, an equalizing and very participative uh, way of getting that done without the kind of clipboard and the supervised time routines and stuff that we associate yeah. with work. Do you know what I mean? So I think purpose yeah. is important, but don't always think purpose is some higher plateau, almost quasi-religious thing, because it, it might not be. It might be very near to people and just something very functional. 
Yeah. And if we think about the sort of real life examples of where self-managed teams are coming out, mm-hmm. are those industry agnostic at the minute? Are they functional agnostic? Do they, you know, span all those areas or, yeah. or do you see them in certain areas? It's a really interesting question that when I talk about this a lot, which I do when I get stage time and things like this, mm. I do often get questions from people saying, oh, well, it's OK in this space because the purpose yeah. is the overriding factor. Uh, and, and again, I sort of balk a bit at that because I, I just don't believe that you can, again, tag purpose to just some higher plane thing. And so I've seen it work in um, uh, engineering companies. I've picked up stories in healthcare and seen it happen there myself. I've seen it in high process, almost like, you know, very functional admin areas that yeah. people wouldn't have said. Um, self-management is needed in those areas but but it absolutely works because people have a sense of agency over their own work and activities and choices and suddenly their work becomes more enjoyable because it isn't you know forced upon them so to speak um and and while i'm on that train of thought there is this um i guess you'd say either research or thread that says people don't leave bad companies they leave bad managers right yes yes. i I see that a lot and, and i i do sort of understand that that might be a really bad relationship that needs um, you know some form of breakage in order to uh, create some sanctity out of it but but I think people leave uh, a workplace because they can't influence what uh, around them that they want to see happen and sometimes the manager is the obstacle but other times the system is too big or whatever it might be so I think that's where I really see self-management come alive it is in just it is industry agnostic because I think it's about people having agency and that autonomy and an alignment to something that adds value creates impact and so on so um, I think it could work anywhere i was um i was having a conversation when i knew we were doing this podcast Mm. and exploring this with some people and i was looking for examples and um, just getting some thoughts from people and and one of the organizations that popped up is an organization called valve oh yeah yeah. you may or may not know yeah Yeah, and i was yeah that's right and apparently you know they've gone from a very small group to now a large group that's very much self-managed and one of the guys I was speaking to was a, um, an org psychologist from the States, and he would say one of the things that's interesting about Valve, based on his knowledge of it, is that while they are very much self-managed in the organization, yeah. the recruitment process yeah. is very different to a normal organization. Yeah. Do, do you think that self-management requires a certain type of person or a certain type of uh, filtering process to, to be effective? Or yeah. how, what, what are your thoughts on that? Great question. So again, I, I'm not going to give it a yes and no. I, I think there mm-hmm. are some people with a stronger predisposition to favor this kind of way. Um, uh-huh. and, and so, you know, there may be something in them where there's a desire to not be forced into doing things and to be more, you know, part of a collective. Um, but equally, there are lots of people who are conditioned through their life, through the education system, through the work they do, um, who actually uh, are not predisposed to it. But when taught the benefits and the, and the realization of how much, much, much more human it is, suddenly move away from that precondition and go, hey, now I've discovered this. I, I really want it to be how I operate. There may be a few people who are predispositioned towards wanting to have people around them who take the lead and look after things that they don't want to. So I think they're on the spectrum. You've got at those ends, the predisposition, almost like a sensibility. And then in the middle, you've got tons of people who are conditioned. Uh, and, And they are people who can be uh, skilled and confident enough to move towards self-management. So I see it as that kind of distribution curve. You know, Perry, you, you raised something really interesting Ooh. because much of... you're on mute, Lisa. Oh, no. Sorry, Perry. Uh, Lisa was saying something and she's going to mute. Jump Can in you again, hear me Lisa. now? 
Yes, we're good. Okay, my apologies. Perry, you were saying something interesting there about the hierarchy. And I'm thinking of the work uh, right now of David Rock with his scarf model, right? So status, certainty, autonomy, relation, uh, relational and fairness. How do people respond in terms of having come out of educational systems that provide a certain amount of status? um, If you're working in a self-managed team, presumably everybody is at the same level in terms yeah. of status yeah. what what are people's reactions or what what do you have to either give up and mm. what do you gain when you go from a traditional uh structure to mm. a self-managed structure yeah and i've seen that so that's a really pertinent question so i've seen people who's who who are almost so anti-status that they want to really you know be still invisible within a self-managed system and and actually whilst that may be alluring i don't think that's right because i think there are times you have to step in and be in, in a leading position or, you know, a supportive position. So if some people think, oh, this is a great place for me to not get told what to do so I can be, you know, almost like uh, just an invisible force, I don't think it's quite that. But I think what you're talking about is that, you know, we're uh, conditioned to achieve, we get awards, we have captains of sporting teams, we have um, people who are, uh, I suppose you'd say, uh, prefects or, or senior uh, within a school instructor, and they expect that to be the case when they go into the working structure too and so they may have a little dented ego when suddenly everybody is a quite equal um, part of a of a system um and and my response to it is often that that the 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 ego side of things is replaced by a sense of being part of an eco system and so it's ego eco that's an easy flip right but but situationally within self-managed environments what i've seen is there are times when people say i'm going to hold this space i'm going to create a leading proposition that I would like to invite people to join me in and we'll share how we do that. So your status then is as the convener of that space, that issue, that opportunity. Um, it doesn't mean you have to tell everybody what to do, though. That's the, I, I think, the the kind of the beauty in this is that you can create the sense of something needed. And, and if people respond to it, then you work out how you do it. So you can get a kick from the status by being the person that takes that leading role. But you don't have to then lead the entire thing um, uh, from start to finish. So, yeah, so I, I've seen the status thing played in both ways, kind of, you know, shrinking and being invisible to I like to be out front and I like to lead. And it's like, well, you still get that chance, but you'll get people who will equalize and give you a sense of, um, you know, connectedness about what that leading will look like. And it's almost like you have to then say to people, okay, my status here is to hold this space and create the opportunity for people to come together and do things. What would you need me to do as a leading part of this? Uh, And then they help you construct the, I guess, the rhythm that you'll need to adopt. Yeah. And I think what you're saying or I'm listening both to what you're saying and reading between the lines is that this requires a certain amount of maturity and willingness to step into conversations. And I'm curious around um, how people in these groups navigate conflict, because in many traditional organizations, if I have a problem with somebody, I can avoid dealing with them directly by going to either my boss or that person's boss. Now there's nobody to go to to help fix it. I actually have to have the communication skills and the conflict resolution skills to engage with my peers. So can you say a little bit about how conflict 
uh, is uh, managed in self-managed teams. Yeah. And, and again, I think this is one of the things people outside it who have um, not experienced it will say, well, surely it's just a talking shop then where you're trying to get consensus if there's an outlying view and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, not really. What I've seen in some, and you're right to use the word maturity, by the way, because what I've seen in mature ways that this has manifested itself as a, as a system that people can um, both respond to and shape um, is that conflict is considered to be an engaging opportunity rather than a, a punishing or a, you know a really kind of fraught and, and dangerous part of the process so right it's, it's an interesting thing again again about ego because it's not I don't like how you're making that decision it would be something like I have a sense this decision is troubling me because and so you take the person out of the conversation and you put the thing as the thing that you want to challenge and and I've seen that become a really really sensible way of avoiding you know people literally raising hackles because they think they don't like me or they hate me or they're taking me on and it's like it's this thing that I'm saying is what we should do that's being challenged so what is it about this thing we need to unpack and discover and work through now that does take maturity so I've seen some great stuff from uh, an organization based in Sweden who are helping organizations learn how to do this more. They're called Tough Leadership, T-U-F-F, which in Swedish, believe it or not, means tough, as in T-O-U-G-H. Yes, nice, isn't it? Um, Phonetic translations. And, And what they do is they teach people how to hold that conflict as an opportunity to not um, go on an assault or feel they've got to defend themselves, but actually table the issue. They call it a moose head. (laughs) They call it a moose head. It's a rotting moose head on the table. Uh, And you keep pointing to that and say, look, how do we get this stinking moose head off the table? It's not like who put the stinking moose head there? Do you know what I mean? I think the difference is not what's your personal attachment to the thing. It's what is the thing? And let's work on that. That really helps with conflict engagement as a, as Mickey Cashtan calls it, conflict engagement, it takes the sting out of it. It stops it being a, you know, a rippling undercurrent where you just bitch about people to others. You, you, you don't need to do that. Yeah, that depersonalization is powerful. Yeah. And I love the, the rotting moose head. It's, oh, it's no. a little bit more direct than the elephant in the room. Or Isn't whatever. it just? Quite like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite like it. Um, so there's a little bit there about the conflict and, and yeah. ways to adjust that. More broadly, when we think about organizations and, and the cultures of organizations, which is something that we're interested yeah. in, um, yeah. The cultures are, are uh, sometimes shaped by things like leadership and things yeah. like values and behaviors, and, and there are uh, efforts and initiatives to, to shape these. In a self-managed team, how does one go about defining a culture, shaping it, or is it purely organic? How does yeah. that I mean, it's really, uh, I guess, what I've seen in self-managed teams, and again, it comes back to the point uh, Lisa made about maturity, is that culture is a, it's a really adult conversation. It's like, you know, what, what, how are we being here? What's the, what's the vibe we're creating? And you kind of name it very differently. So it doesn't feel like it's a construct of the boardroom to a set of values. Yeah. They seem to emerge from it. So there is a degree of uh, allowing it to um, emerge. And, and I say it, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because it's like a force field rather than a thing you can grab hold of Um, but I think equally the way people act and the way people perhaps want and need to act in the interests of the work that you're doing and the purpose you have can be to some degree I use the word lightly but I don't you know it might sound a bit heavy engineered 
So you mm-hmm. may say that as a self-managed team, what you really want to do is have something like an open and transparent salary structure. Now, to some yeah. people, they would just freak out about what, what knowing what other people earned or, or whatever. So there's a way to deal with that. And, and, you know, you have to kind of go into it gently. You have to create the right culture, the way that's an openness that people understand. And then, then you bring it to some sense of order and, and there's a purpose to it. So, so, so this, I think, is where you can be more, and, and again, I use the word wisely, kind of humanist about things rather than machine-like mm-hmm. and engineer it in that sense. Um, so I think culture is, is is very deliberate in these teams because people really sign up to pledges to each other to do things in a certain way um, mm-hmm. and respect and, and, and values based approaches really, really ooze out of every conversation. Um, but I've seen a few organizations where self-management is absolutely how they operate. And then there's a couple of people who are frustrated, perhaps, about a certain decision that could be made that isn't. Um, and, and perhaps they want to direct that at, to at somebody to say you make that call because we need you to make that call um and that's the kind of thing where it can get a little bit it could go a little bit underground and a subculture creates it's like oh they're not brave enough to make that call so yeah you know what i mean so you can still get some of those cultural like um uh, sort of fractures uh, even in a self-managed um, situation so it isn't all hugs and you know everybody's super happy in a self-management system it could be really hard um, and sometimes how you find a resolution that isn't just in one person that makes it more complex. How, what do you see of the relationship between, um, I guess, informational power or expertise um, and then the broader teams within self-managed teams? Yeah. Is, there, is there added weight for expertise or how does that dynamic play out? That's a great question. I think uh, I'd like to again say that the maturity uh, of those I've seen and experienced and worked in has this huge amount of respect for that kind of expertise. And there's a real mm-hmm. understanding about how to leverage it without the person feeling like they've got to step in or be, you know, thrown work. They're, they're considered to be very, very sort of sage-like and very consultative and, and very reliable in that sense. So I do think people have um, respect and reverence for expertise. These aren't just like super generalists who work in self-management. Yeah. They're more adaptable, I would say, perhaps. They are equally allowed to develop specialities because often that's where their passion is or that's where the client or the purpose needs. Um, so so I'd say that's a part of it. And, and, and the power aspect to it is often where we see it in conventional structures uh, becomes yeah. almost like a shield, like I'm impenetrable because I'm the only one who knows this. Um, yeah. And they don't give it away. In self-managed systems, I see it the opposite. I see it where people are trying to create shared knowledge, uh, legacy, uh, inclusion, uh, because they don't fear that they're going to be displaced in any sense or, or purpose. So um, it does create a different environment in terms of how like encircled people are. Um, yeah. And I often say that in traditional structures, that the reason you have divisions is because they're divisive <laughs> and they're divided. <laughs> yes, uh, whereas yes. in self-management, you don't tend to get that. You, you often don't even have a structure. You just have this swarm mentality to how you assemble around a problem. Um, so I think the power and the positioning side of things seems to be less of an issue where people are like, I, I don't need a career path because I'm doing the work I love. So so that's it <laughs> you know they're quite content yeah um so yeah yeah we, we've spoken a bit about 
uh, as we've gone through this about benefits to the individual and, and some of those benefits around, um, you know, quality of experience at work yeah. and, and all those types of things. From an organizational perspective, what do you see the benefits being to organizations of adopting something like this? Yeah, so so that um, fluidity that I talked about, that sort of swarm mentality, does seem to be a real attribute of self-managed teams where, you know, it's like, right, guys, we've got this massive problem. Uh, you know, what they don't need to do is I'm going to pick you from this division, you from this division, and you from this division and force you to solve that problem. There's often a, a real sense of stepping in and a real sense of self-assembly and how you do that. So that feels like it's rapid. It feels like it's got people, um, you know, on the front foot and wanting to get engaged in that kind of resolution. So that I think is an organizational benefit, um, the reactiveness to it. Um, I do see something about the, um, the acquisition, the hiring side of things that you talked about earlier on when you mentioned the valve example, um, where because the culture and the way of working is primarily the sort of overriding system, that expertise and past history tends to be less what you're looking for in a candidate for a role in a self-managed team. You might want somebody who is a Java code uh, developer, uh, but you'd also want to see that somebody has the ability to work creatively, to be a little bit multidisciplinary and all that kind of thing. So I think you start from a point of, can we find people who, who, who will get our culture, who will get our system and mode of operating, who will enrich it in different ways? Oh, and, and they, are they super competent and certificated and validated and all that kind of thing? And I've seen some self-managed um, organizations hire people who look like that on the outside, who then come in and want to start bringing in some hierarchical stuff. And believe me, the system rejects them pretty quickly. Mm. Um, so they don't last very long. They, they, they struggle themselves. They find themselves lost. They try and assert even more tight power and it just fails. Um, so I think the recruitment process is likely to mean, this is a long way of saying it, long way, uh, likely to mean you will get the right people and they'll stay with you. And so your attrition costs are flattened. Uh, your cultural sort of norms are uh, integrated pretty quickly. Uh, performance is, is often uh, an easy uptick. Um, and, uh, and I don't think you get people who are massively worried about, you know, progression and super, super, super size salaries. They tend to be a little bit more like, let's just build this thing up and let's grow with it. And let's, you know, acquire as we get bigger and better. Um, so you don't get any of those brilliant jerks is what I guess is the shorthand phrase. Yeah, because you're, you're getting people who are self-selecting, I think, yeah. in a way to the, the ideology of... Yeah. Of what it means. So, so Perry, let me ask yeah. you this. So there's one thing that you get it and you aspire to it, yeah. but if you want to actually do it, like if we were yeah. to talk about practicalities, I, I have a couple yeah. of questions on that. Go for it. So one is, um, you know, if you're a leader in an organization, how do you get started on this? But also, can you be a leader in an organization if the organ, the entire organization doesn't embrace this way of working, but you yeah. yourself want to create the opportunities within your area, your department, yeah. to be yeah. able to do this in a really, in a real way, in yeah. the real world, as, as, uh, as we yeah. often uh, and, say. And that's exactly where I'm going to try and land this. So some examples I've seen are actually, and that it's kind of a combined answer of both of those questions, but I will split the rest of this. Um, there is often a source who will say, this is the way we should be, this self-management thing. So it is literally like you you have somebody who decrees freedom or who mandates this kind of self-direction. 
Um, and, and so I guess that's often where it starts. It isn't a kind of, I've rarely seen it as a bottom-up revolution that needs to convince the boss. You can trust us, let go. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's more that there's a pretty benevolent source uh, in a leadership role. And, and so they're comfortable with saying, I, I'm still happy to do the leading thing I need to do legally or to the shareholders if we've got them or, you know, whatever it might be. So they, they play a role. But what they're effectively saying is, I don't need to control everything. I don't need to decide everything. I actually want you to do it because you're closer to customers. You see the opportunities there way more than I do. And therefore, I would like to start from saying, yes, you can do what you want. Uh, and then, you know, you might come to me because you just want me to say, yeah, I think this fits the company's future direction or whatever it might be. So they're like an alignment checker. Um, so, yeah, so practically that often is the best place to start. A benevolent source somewhere in the organization decrees this is going to be a good thing for us because we're practically working that way now or it looks like it's the right thing to do. Um so where it gets stuck is if there isn't that belief, if, if you've got, say, a middle manager trying to create this sense of self-management and the senior people around them who still hold the power go, no, 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 we're not going to do it, then the chances are it is really unlikely to happen. Um, so somebody will need to be that centrifugal force is the phrase I use rather okay, than like the champion. The yeah. 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 So get that. Then then. Uh, to assume that everybody is going to go hurrah is actually not the right assumption. Because <laughs> yes. There will be a lot of people who go, what? You are crazy. Yeah. What do you mean? And uh, I love the story of Dan Price out at Gravity Payments who um, set everybody's salary on $70,000. Yeah. And there were some people there who hated it and left, but they're, they're 3x uh, growth. So it's proving to work. Um, yeah. But yeah, you will get some people who go, I am, I did not come here for this. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't want to be part of this. And I think we have to respect that. Those preconditioned, um, uh, not preconditioned, but predetermined kind of responses to that are, this is not what I need. And I think we have to allow those people to make the choice of uh, another place to, to be. And I guess Tony Shea has done that at Zappos probably three times now. Yeah. Um, so I think then you have to describe to people what it means and what they will gain and what they might have to let go of in this situation. And I think that's absolutely the starting point of the conversation. People need to go, OK, I get the principle. I think it's probably right. But but what does it mean? What am I going to have to let go of and what, are I gonna, what am I going to have to acquire in order to make this work? And, and I think you can start with some interest uh, and you can probably start with some eagerness and then practicalities kick in pretty quickly. Like, so who sets my salary now? You know, those kind yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think you, you, you have to work with people to then build it with them uh, and then they will create it in their own kind of, you know, determination. Uh, and then that's part of them. So you don't need a consultant like me to come in and force it. Uh, absolutely not. Mm. And, and with this, do you see organizations trying this as a big bang approach or do you see um, sub areas working on it individually first? I mean, if they move in this direction, how does that work? Yeah. So I think um, it, that definitely depends on scale. So yeah. uh, I see some startups who kind of get this as the right thing to do and they start to scale and then they get to a size and then they think this is no longer operational and they revert to perhaps more traditional structure. Yeah. I see it that people who are of a certain size uh, who, who have started to feel that the traditional stuff isn't serving them well do want to unhook themselves from that to create this. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then in really large corporations, it is really tricky. But I, yeah. I know of a very famous cosmetics manufacturer whose marketing team said this is going to work for us. And they allowed them to exper- experiment with it and it worked really well. But right. manufacturing said, nah, that's not going to work for us. Yeah. And so okay. they just left it. So my suspicion is, and I've even worked in a company that did this, you will see quite a few kind of hybrids with a yeah, okay. bit of self-management and connections into governance and so on, and lots of traditional still in the very, very large organizations. And and you said earlier that uh, starting this, in your opinion or in your experience, yeah. often stems from uh, somebody who's a champion of it, yeah. whatever right. language we, we want to use. When organizations are handed over from a founder yeah. or things like that, that's a really tough period. For oh, yeah. When organizations move yeah. uh, away or, or when that charismatic or, or champion uh, leader is no longer in role. What what happens there? Do you see that transition working? Or? Uh, it does weaken it sometimes. So the yeah. reinvented organizations and also Freedom Inc. Uh, by Isaac mm-hmm. uh, Getz, uh, stories of Favi, the engineering company in France, are a sure. classic example where um, you know Jean-Francois Abriest was the power source behind the self-managed uh, I guess you'd say revolution within that company that worked so well. Then he handed mm-hmm. over to somebody else, and then they had to then get somebody else to take over. And apparently, then there was a reversion to traditional techniques, which right. just seemed to just not fit where where things were. Now, I haven't really kept in touch with the Favi story for a while, but it started to feel like it was being unpicked and it was damaging it. Yeah. And, I, and I also think that happened in the results-only working environment at Best Buy. Same thing happened there. Um, right, okay. So the um, the you know the force and the source uh, when they're no, no longer there can um, create in the successor something where it just gets unpicked and that would be a real yeah. shame because it feels yeah. like it got so far but yeah so it does happen. Yeah, yeah. I guess creating that sustainability is hard. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Uh, and it's yeah. not quite the same as self-management, but I love the interface carpet tile story uh, of their CEO, Ray, who who, who died, obviously, uh, in, in post, but left such a strong legacy about what they do that that company kind of lives his legacy. So I, I guess I like to think that those people who set off a self-management revolution that works, even if they're no longer there through death or through uh, abdication of sorts, their legacy is so strong that whoever takes the reins kind of builds yeah. on it, uh, but it isn't always the case. Yeah, well, that's nice. Well, I'm afraid, Perry, that we're going to have to end it there just in the interest of time. We're getting to the end of our time on this. Um, But just before we finish up, Mm. um, I just wanted to uh, reach out and say, is there anything people could do to learn more Mm. about self-management? Anything you'd recommend? Anything people could do to learn more about you? And sure. your thoughts on self-management? As well? Yeah, so um, there is a growing band of people under the uh, title Reinventing Work uh, who are starting to talk a lot more about self-management. So you can find them if you Google Reinventing Work. There are groups set up all over the world, um, and I'm part of that. Um, my website is pthr.co.uk, and you can jump in there, get in touch with me, and I'll happily direct you to anybody who I know is doing this kind of work. So that's one way to find out. Um, there are quite a lot of resources sort of starting to grow, like there's a website for some facilitation techniques that work well in self-management called Liberating Structures. Uh, so that's worth looking at. 
Um, the books that we mentioned, Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Laloux. Uh, you have um, Freedom Inc. by Isaac Getz. Um, the Corporate Rebels aren't difficult to find. They talk about this stuff a lot. Uh, you could look at Joste Block at Bürzorg, who's got some great stories of self-management in nursing. Um, and, and, and I think there's a growing base of literature. People like Gary Hamill write about it a lot in Harvard Business Review. So I think if you started to Google self-management, you'd pick up some quite interesting threads and be able to follow it. Um, the good news about self-management is there's no one book and no one guide because it quite literally sure. is your version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. That's been super helpful okay. and super interesting. Great. Um, so, yeah, so just time to say thank you very much for me. Thank you. Great questions. I mean, you really tested me on this. So uh, <laughs> I, I, well, I feel fun. it in a good way. Well, you've yeah. passed with flying colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we've learned so much from you, Perry. You've made it. You've taken the, the idea behind it and made it seem doable and real and I guess something for us to aspire to. Oh, thank you very much. No, really glad for that. So thank you for the hosting and, and look forward to more of your shows. Okay, so you are back in the room with Lisa and myself now. That was our conversation with Perry, uh, Perry Timms, all about self-managed teams. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought he had some great points to say, and I think he spoke well about them. There's so much richness um, to the thinking that he brings to this. And, and I think we took some good questions at him um, and he came up with some some pretty good answers. Um, did you have any key takeaways, Lisa, from your side? Yeah, I think two of them. One was the idea that we need to unhook from entrenched behaviors around working in hierarchies, that there's part of it is working differently with other people, but part of it is also the sense of being a grown-up and advocating for your own ideas and being able to work with other people in a way that is truly peer-to-peer. Uh, the there's one little piece in there that was really interesting to me, and I would have loved to have dived in deeper, which was around the idea of compensation and everybody yeah. basically knowing uh, how much everyone is making. Because part of me initially thought when Perry mentioned it, that everybody on the team would be making the same salary. But then when I thought further about different levels of expertise and where people are coming from, it would make sense that there would be different levels of compensation and how those conversations uh, would happen. And the second thing quickly is that organizations can have hybrids. So some departments can work with this model, but other ones, it might not work as effectively. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And I think that point around the salaries is really interesting. Um, and, and maybe that's something we'll explore a little bit more. And I'd love to see where some of the, the work that, that Perry's doing goes in, in the coming years as we see some of the organizations he's working with evolve, because I think that uh, hybrid piece might, might appear a little bit more often. Um, I had a couple of takeaways from that that I quite liked as well. And one of the things that, that struck me with this is, is about the fact that a lot of this is sort of evolutionary and it's not for everybody. So I liked some of his reflections around the fact that, you know, you make these changes and people sometimes leave, right? It really isn't for everyone and that's okay. Yeah. And then I guess people come in and then that changes the dynamic again, but the, the will to work in this different ways there. Um, so I kind of liked that. Um, and I liked the focus on his carefully chosen word of humanist, meaning, you know, focusing on the people, I think, more than um, than anything else. And, and I think that if you can get this right, it could be quite a human experience. So I, for one, would like to get to know some teams that are working in a self-managed way and get a bit more experience of it. So. Yeah. And hear the, the story, the lived experience of 
where, you know, where are the, the, the benefits? Obviously, I mean, it seems like there are quite a few of them, but, you know, in any situation that involves a bunch of people coming together, I'm sure that there are challenges to really focusing on the work and maybe not getting caught up in interpersonal dynamics, which we know is pretty much every workplace has uh, examples of that. Yeah, fascinating. Well, hopefully we'll get to speak to an organization one day. Um, okay, well, that's the end of this podcast. Um, it was a pleasure getting to pull it together and present it to you. Hope you enjoyed it. And we will catch you in a few weeks. So it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.